0: We are so excited to say that this season of Well and Good is brought to you by our absolute favourite honey brand, Mount Summer's.
1: That's right, Matt. So if you're looking for an all-natural sweet treat, then Mount Summer's Honey has got everything from UMF Manuka to wonderful chocolate flavours and everything in between.
0: Kia ora, folks. Kia ora, Art.
1: Yeah, howdy. How you going, Matt?
0: Yeah, I'm going good, thanks. How are you going, mate? Yeah,
1: pretty good, mate. Hey, so, interesting chat
0: today. Really interesting, yep. So we had Noel Josephson on the podcast today, and he is one of the original founders and the current CEO of Kiwi Organic food brand Series Organics.
1: Mm, yes, uh, Series Organics is a pretty cool company, actually. They've been around for, I think, like 40 years, maybe more, or closer, 40 years. They're really at the forefront of the organic industry here in New Zealand they make a whole bunch of organic foods they import a whole bunch of of organic foods and yeah they're really leading the charge
0: Mm -hmm. and our chat with Noel I found fascinating because both Art and I are huge fans of organic food but we didn't even know quite to the extent of how important organic food really is and it was cool to learn that it's not just about us and the health of of ourselves it's about the planet um, as a whole so we we did a real deep dive on organics and why it is so important to move more towards that less away from your conventional farming methods that we see globally so I I hope you guys love it as much as we loved it because I found it super super interesting so enjoy here's Noel So, welcome, Noel. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's great to be here. We're very excited to have you because um, organic food is a huge passion of ours. So, we're very excited to delve deep into organics. So, to start off, can we get you to just talk a little bit about your background and what got you into organic food? And because you're one of the co founders of Series Organics and how that sort of came about.
2: Wow. Very broad question. <laughs> how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend. She was a mother of two children, and she's interested in organics. And I I knew her because we had a lot of other things we we're interested in together. And she decided to start a organic vegetable co op, a weekly organic vegetable co op out of her garage, at a time when organics wasn't in shops anywhere, but there were a few farmers growing organically. So I joined when was her co op. 1982. Right. Mm. And as far as I know, I think it was the first, certainly the first urban organic co-op in New Zealand, but I don't think it was even a rural one. Wow.
1: What exactly is a co-op?
2: A co-op is like um, when a group of people get together and agree to buy, to take what was a weekly box of vegetables, whatever was available brought a weekly box of vegetables. Cool.
0: So it's like taxi co-op. They all own part of it. So just so you know. So there we go. That's how it goes (laughs) with (laughs) taxis.
2: Good to know. So not a formal structure of any sort. Yeah.
0: Cool. And can you explain what organic actually means? Because I think there there can be a little bit of confusion between spray-free, organic. What's the difference there?
2: Firstly, it should be certified, that is to say, there should be a third party involved to verify that it is organic, but organic is growing without the use of any chemical inputs, whether it be fertilizers or sprays or and also in the processing of food afterwards, that shouldn't be anything artificial used. Mm-hmm. So, if you like, is keeping the food as close to nature as possible. -hmm. So, what is the reason? Why is it that
1: we've gone so far away from that natural way of food production over the last, you know, hundred
2: or so years? Why has that happened? I think it's the driving of science and economics, the driving of science to make things grow faster, to make the shelf life longer, to make the...
0: Increase yield. The, yeah, yeah, to
2: increase the yield, to make the colour of the flower right, to make um, <laughs> mm. the taste right. That There's so many additives being put into it to try and create the perfect food and then, if you like, the economic drive to streamline everything to make it as lower prices as possible is taken food away from food. Mm. And until sort of suddenly, you could say suddenly, but woke up more gradually than that from about the late 60s on, a stream of people started saying, no, I wanted natural food or want organic food. I want to get back to nature. I want to be aligned with nature and from that time that body of people have has grown so much so that suddenly you could say in the early part of the 21st century the food industry realized they're going in the totally the wrong direction to the the way consumers were going and many companies are trying to do a a 180 degree turn Mm and trying to label their food natural and uh, as much as possible, and also have driven a wave of um, takeovers of organic and natural companies that have become subsidiaries of multinationals. Mm.
0: Have you heard of the term greenwashing?
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah,
0: so that's when companies try and sort of make it sound like their product is a lot more sustainable and natural than it actually is, right? So yes. it it can be really hard for consumers to know what does natural even mean? Because I guess you could argue that everything is natural, natural. really petrol is yeah. natural, you know, ch- comes from coal is natural. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So do you think that organic products and that sort of thing is the way to go as well, not just
2: natural or yeah i think there's no definition of natural it is yeah. a, it is wide open and that's why i said before you know a third party certification for organic to mm-hmm. so there is a verification path of of what's happened to your food and mm. and that what you're buying is is what it says it is
0: right how do you think the way of modern commercial agricultural farming is affecting the planet in a negative way. How does that work?
2: If you put it into a big, broad picture for, mm. well, ever since agriculture has been happening, so for 10,000 years, mm. humankind has had this drive to extract from nature as much as possible, and that's really intensified in the last, what you say, 100-plus years with the addition of chemical fertilisers with genetic modification, with all sorts of things that have really been all about extraction and taking away. Up till 1970, the earth could absorb or in a way, absorb human activity. But since that point, we've crossed the threshold of what the, the Earth can absorb, and now we're sort of on a destructive path in relation to the Earth. So there has to be a flick, a change in our thinking to working with nature, not in spite of nature. Mm.
1: Yeah. And do you, do you think one of the main drivers for that destruction of the Earth, and and we're seeing a lot, you know, with climate change, is that mostly driven by our soil? health and soil quality and, I guess, how it's been slowly destroyed over those years. Yes.
2: Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of the neglected part of um, our understanding of agriculture, that it takes a long time to build up soil. I think it, it takes an incredible number of years for nature itself to build up that top layer of soil.
1: Yeah, um, I think I read can, somewhere it was like a 1,000 years or like 10,000 years to build. 1,000 years, years for
2: 3 centimetres, centimetres of total. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> we read the same article. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and it certainly doesn't take long to yeah.
2: mess and it up. If you think of the Middle East and you think of around the Mediterranean, which were fertile areas and the, the centre of human civilization, and now they're fairly barren areas and mm. desert areas in some cases. It takes a couple of hundred years to destroy that soil, but it's sort of more than a lifetime or a couple of lifetimes, so you don't quite see it happening. Mm. In your lifetime, you you might see a decline, but you don't really see the destruction. But across Mm. a few generations of people, the soil goes. So they say now that there's 60 harvests left in the world on land that's um, farmed chemically. Wow, which is oh not much. Oh my goodness, that's
0: crazy. God, well, that's really sad, isn't it? Yeah,
2: because yeah. So the way I
1: understand it is that healthy soil, full of microorganisms and um, with good sort of biodiversity in there, has the ability to sequester carbon dioxide, so draw carbon dioxide back into the soil, so to help, I guess, fight climate change. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yes. I saw um, recently that was kind of well-documented this um, farm in the States, which is a regenerative agricultural farm. I think they measured it. They did a study on their farm and they measured how it was sequestering carbon dioxide. So is that kind of the way forward? We need to do more regenerative
2: agriculture as opposed to this huge industrial agriculture? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only way forward. Yeah. Un- I mean, we're in a, a fight or a battle or whatever you want to say to save the earth now to s- or to save our existence yeah. on the earth no. Yeah and that's only going to happen if if we actually start working with nature and yeah. start seeing what nature needs and, to support us.
0: Yeah so we um cuz we saw a documentary recently called the big little farm and that was a documentary about this farm in California that they basically bought i can't remember how how many acres it was but it was a lot of acres of basically just barren crumbly ground, yeah, and they had a mission to turn it into just a working farm and work with nature to bring it back to soil and not use any pesticides and not kill anything. And the documentary was incredible. it It took them a while. It took them about seven years seven or something years, I think that's about
2: what it takes. Yeah, yeah, it took
0: a long time, but it was a really incredible documentary, just just seeing how every single thing, had a place and every single insect, every single animal you can work with
2: yes.
0: to do the job that you need them to do. Mm. Um, so things like how to fix this problem, is it things like where do people start? So say they've got a crop farm. How do you do that? You yeah. know, like how do you turn it around? I'd imagine it's a big job. Where do you even start?
2: I think it's a long process, and yeah. se- and and from barren land to mm. productive land is about seven years. It's, yeah. It takes that long. Yeah. It takes a long time to rebuild that layer on top of the soil that's really productive and really.
0: Yeah. So I've read that things like cover crops, or different things like that, can can help with. Yes, um,
2: the rotation of different crops into the yeah. soil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because that's the so big it? So you're trying problem, to bring it? life back into the soil yeah. and re-establish that whole world mm. under there of microorganisms that start working together,
0: right.
2: that actually balance themselves. You often see a patch of of weeds on ground, and they're all the same weed. it's like lots of different ones, there might be a few different ones, but there's often a lot of a patch, a big patch of the same weeds together. What happens is nature actually tries to rebalance itself and what tends to grow are weeds that carry the element that the soil needs.
0: That's really interesting. So
2: by itself, nature is trying to repair itself so that And then we keep yanking it out. Yes, that's yeah. <laughs> right. We yank it out and chuck it away, but actually a uh, organic farmer will pull out the weed and turn it, either compost it or turn it into a tea, you know, put it in some water and let it um, ferment and then put it back onto the soil and it puts the element that the soil's missing back into it.
1: I'm And, totally then, it, do and
2: that. then probably yeah. another, a different weed will appear and the soil yeah. is trying to balance itself. Mm.
0: That's really interesting because I guess you could kind of look at the soil the same way as you look at the human body and that there are no mistakes in nature. There's no mistakes in your body. Like mm. they're never doing something wrong, but but I guess it's constantly reacting to what you do to it, if you know what I mean. I guess it's the, the same sort of concept. Mm. Like nature is perfect and it's always trying to
2: just balance, balance itself out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: but then we just keep, Messing it up. Mm. Yeah.
2: I think there's this picture that still is around that organic farmers are a bunch of hippies or things like that, when the reality is they're actually some of the most innovative farmers. They're really trying and searching, trying new methods, trying to find the way of working with nature Mm. because there's a lot we don't know. Yeah. And they're right at that frontier.
0: Yeah. There's
2: probably, I imagine, a
1: lot that we don't know now that we as humans we probably once did. You know, like back when we actually were really in touch with nature and farming and living off the land and living with nature, we probably knew all about it. But now we've probably forgotten a lot of this
2: this stuff. I I think there's a lot of instinctive knowledge that was passed generation to generation. Mm. And I think the real big difference is now that actually it's conscious knowledge. Mm. which is really quite important that we, we actually find it ourselves rather than it's somewhere subconscious. Mm. Just going back to the stuff about like the weeds and, and what the soil needs, it naturally
1: sort of tries to recreate. And so when you just mentioned something before about crop rotation, so what's crop rotation? Is that kind of just like planting one type of plants one season and then something else the next season that you know is going to be good for the soil to help regenerate the soil?
2: Yes, but it also it depends on the soil and depends on the plant, but it can be also planting a, a second crop in the year that helps regenerate the soil that you then plant okay. again. But it's also a rotation of paddocks or rotation on your farm of different crops, so you're not growing the same crop in the same place all the time. Okay.
0: And is that the same with livestock as well? to move them around if you can so they're not all constantly grazing from the same place, is that right? I
2: think there's there's a lot of pushback against livestock at present, you know, with plant-based diets and that. And you don't have to eat the animals, but animals are essential in farming. You mm-hmm. do need animals to help recycle the waste plant material, mm-hmm. um, fertilize. To, to fertilize the land, to keep mm-hmm. the ecosystem turning. Mm. That's really yeah. important. And in some forms of organic farming, such as in biodynamic farming, it's a requirement to have animals on your farm
0: yeah, wow. and to have
2: a diversity. Yeah. So, n- not intensive farming or whatever, mm. um, but to have a, a diversity. Because they all kind of just play a part. So, yeah, they all play a part in nature.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, we even found, well, I found it quite interesting. We we had a, a chicken coop at, at home, but then um, the chickens that we adopted just got a bit old and they stopped laying, so, so we passed them on to another farm. But what I found really interesting was that as soon as we got rid of the um, chicken coop, that area is like... Incredible for growth. like plants just so grow fertile. so fertile, and that's just because of all the chickens pooing on the ground and yeah. and it's just this incredible square of <laughs> yeah. you know really intense growth. And, and, and I found that really interesting.
2: and so to run free range chickens by moving their a big cage round to farm is actually really good for the farm, yeah. And good for the chickens. Yeah, yeah. Well I
0: guess because we were throwing scraps on the ground as well. And so then that's kind mm. of more compost, I guess, and yeah. it all was just just working.
2: And yeah. and it also helps it works really well on a dairy farm, for instance, to have the chickens following the cows grazing.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wait,
2: why is that? Oh, they just rework the ground after you know, really? it's a different way of working mm. nature. That the the cows worked it in one way, and then the chicken comes along and reworks it and picks away at the insects there. Yeah. 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 Because I remember, um, I mean, I don't even
1: know if this is true, but I remember it from when I was little. I grew up on a farm, and I remember my dad telling me the cows eat the grass to a certain level, and then the sheep eat the grass to a, a lower level. Yes. You know, so they really complement each other. That's right. Um and the chickens
0: then fit do them there the too. Bottom too,
2: too. Bit,
0: yeah. 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 That's really interesting. So actually it's better to just have them all in the same area just doing their thing.
2: Yeah. Or yeah. rotating.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: So in terms of crop rotation, if I'm like I'm just thinking about our veggie garden at home, which we have not yet planted, but we will very soon, should I be looking to figure out how to rotate different plants in there so that it sort of all works in and, and if so how do i find out that information of what i should be planting and then changing up
2: yes you should be and, yeah. but i i think go to um one of these local farms local cooperatives like kalmana gardens and explore what mm. they're doing and mm. understand mm. that and ask yeah.
0: questions there yeah. yeah yeah
2: or there's lots of urban garden groups right mm. okay so
1: we've sort of covered a little bit about why organic farming is good for the planet why is
2: eating organic food better for us from a nutritional point of view for lots of reasons <laughs> apart from the fact you're actually supporting an um, agricultural system that benefits the earth for yourself it's you're not ingesting the chemicals that normally come with with farming so in America now, for instance, the wheat crop—they dry off the wheat before they harvest it by giving it a, you know, a last spray of glyphosate or oh Roundup, goodness. you know, wow. just to just to dry the plant off. So, and they're trying to ban that now. But the stuff that goes into food, either in growing or in in the processing of food, are chemicals that. Sure, they haven't been proven necessarily proven to harm you, but <laughs> you're the laboratory. <laughs> and, uh, well, I think uh, I think a
1: lot of them now have been proven. You know, yes. glyphosate specifically yes. is is proven to be really harmful. Mm.
0: It's kind of amazing that we're still allowed to use it.
1: Yes, you know, it just mm. so
0: at Bunnings or Mighty 10, you can just pick it up from there and go. And it just seems a little bit
1: crazy. Yeah,
0: well, that's exactly right. Like with
1: Roundup, it it doesn't just stop where you spray it on a plant. Like that gets into your soil, gets into the waterways, then it all cycles through. And and that's why,
2: you know, they found that. And it's in the environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you think up to the 1970s, the earth could absorb human activity, but now we need 1.7 earths to absorb human activity. And in that period, it also coincides with the the huge rise in allergies of all sorts of things. In other words, our bodies are reacting to the earth overloading with its inability to cope with our activity, and we're being affected by it as Mm. well.
0: Yeah, well, I think I've said it before on one of our podcast interviews that I read a stat somewhere that says the average wheat product, be it like pasta or dried wheat product has been sprayed on average 30 times that must be the the constant drying out process so if it's been sitting in this area just being constantly sprayed 30 times you know and then we're ingesting that and that that can't be that can't be good mm. for you you know that's that's kind of a, a terrifying stat
1: yeah
0: Here's a quick message from our sponsors, Mount Summer's Honey. If you fancy a change from processed chocolate spreads or you want to skip the high percentages of refined sugars found in jam, then Mount Summer's has something for you and your family.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong there, Matt. They have the first truly cosmopolitan range of flavoured honey with caramel, vanilla and citrus flavours to tickle your taste buds. And I have it on good authority that the next flavour to drop is chocolate. So boost up your breakfast. Fix up that lunchbox or add a little twist to dips and toppings for ice cream.
0: Oh, that sounds good. So to find them, you can ask for them by name in your supermarket or check them out online at com. That's M-O-U-N-T-S-O-M-E-R-S-H-O-N-E-Y.com.
1: And also, as I believe it, organic produce is superior from a nutrient content point of view as well, which I think kind of makes... I don't know if that's true or not, but in my head it makes sense because I'm thinking, you know, these tomatoes that you've grown at your little vegetable patch at home, and if you've grown them organically, you've most likely used compost. And it kind of makes sense to me that that tomato is grown from all the goodness in that compost, and so it's going to be full of great nutrients. And they
0: taste so different. Yeah,
1: and they last a lot longer, Mm. I find. Like if I buy organic kale and put it in the fridge next to non-organic kale, it can honestly last like a week longer than the other kale. It's incredible. Mm.
2: So I think that's a direct reflection of the soil. Mm. So if you've been growing conventionally, chemically, and then suddenly swapped and grown, tried to grow in the same soil organically, you'll probably find there's not much nutritional difference between the tomatoes or whatever it is you're growing but if you grow over a period of time and maybe it'll take 3 to 7 years for the soil to really change then you will see a change in the in the nutrition but it's it comes through in long term studies of of organic farming so there's a place in America called the Rodale Institute that have done long term farming studies where the nutrition does does change, or rather it optimizes to what a tomato or whatever should have. It really reaches its optimum. So it's a direct reflection of the soil. Mm. But if you think of it the other way, what happens is when you farm conventionally, really you're feeding the plant fertilizer, you're trying to pump it along. It doesn't add any more tr- nutrition. All it does is pump up the carbohydrate in the plant. Mm. So you don't get any more vitamins or minerals with it. You just get a, a plant where you've pushed its life cycle along as fast as you can. And when you come to eat it, you're, you're eating more carbohydrates, which then turn into sugar and in the intestine block up the ability of your body to absorb the vitamins and minerals that are there in that plant. So with organic, it, if the soil has been organic for long enough, you will have the um, optimum that that plant can offer in nutrition and you will your body will be able to absorb it better. Right. That's so interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. So how do you, because I know that a lot of people think, well, that's all good for some people to eat organically because it can be really expensive and it can be a little bit inaccessible. So, how do we make it more accessible as a case of just going out of your way to go to your farmer's markets or finding organic farmers near you that you can go buy and direct from them, buying series products, obviously. you know. How do you make it more accessible? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the distribution of organics is growing in the market as, as mm. more people are becoming aware of it and becoming aware of the benefits of it. I think if you're changing to organic, you should start with the basic things you use and and change according to what you can afford. But it's also change in your thinking as well. So what's the true cost of this food? What's the cost to my health and the cost to the environment? What is the true cost? Because there's a there's the ticket price (laughs) of what the food is, but there's also the true cost which could you know behind it, you can't see all the things that Really happening. I mean, in the UK, they spend, I think it's something like a hundred million a year removing chemicals from the water so it can go into the water supply. For so, (laughs) where's that accounted for when you when you're farming Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. uh, what's the cost to the environment and to your health?
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because there's the argument around the vegan diet. And and how that's a lot better for the planet because you're not eating meat. But there's the other side of the coin where things like soy and wheat and all of these things that are generally quite present in the vegan diet, these are having a really bad effect on the planet too, right? And so then if we go too far that way, then mm. do we just have the same problem?
2: it's always things in modification it's firstly to get away from intensive farming and monoculture and and move to biodiversity
0: in any sense
2: in any sense yeah and then whether you choose a vegan diet or uh, some other diet (laughs) diet, I I think that's that's your choice but you should think of the impact the agriculture is having on the earth
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well it's it's been quite interesting seeing the shift away from dairy milk as well because obviously dairy has a bit of a bad name now because they use a lot of water and it can be quite hard on the environment with methane and that sort of thing. But now seeing the shift to other milks, that also has a big impact on the land. You know, there's almond milk, coconut milk.
1: Oat milk. Oat milk oat soy milk. milk
0: all, all, soy milk. Soy yeah, milk, yeah. All of these different milks. And arguably they they all have... At some stage, a bit of a negative impact on the environment. With almond milk, you've got the situation in California. I think it's either 60% yeah. or 80% of, 80%. Cali- 80% of the world's almonds come from California. 80% of the world's almonds come from California.
2: So that was a real dilemma for us. It's, it's maybe 10 years ago, we, we looked for a way of addressing that problem because we visited. The organic farmers we're buying from there, 80% of the world's almonds are coming from the Central Valley in California. It's really intensive agriculture. Mm. When they grow almond trees, they don't want any growth of anything around them. So they strip out all the vegetation because at the critical point when the bud forms towards the end of winter, they don't want moisture around that would kill the bud. They don't want to frost, so they don't want any plants that moisture could form around. And then the biggest man-made intervention in agriculture is actually bringing bees into California to to pollinate the almond trees. And in that process, a huge number of bees get killed. So, I mean, that was a real question for us and we went around the organic farmers there and we said you know well so what do you do and and you find that they're really stuck in the economics of the central valley that the almond tree will give them the return from the land that not many other crops will so they're forced into this monoculture and we said well what do you do about the bees and they say well we can't there's no plants around here to support them for most of the year so Mm. You know, all we can do is try and form a relationship with a beekeeper that we we try and look after his bees as best we can. Mm. And we came away th- from that thinking, wow, that's um, something where we don't really agree with. And so we went away and uh, found some almond farmers in Chile that were conventional almond farmers and went through a process of converting them to organic. So we got away from the central valley as much as we can. We're still sometimes dependent on mm. on those farmers, but we've got a source of almonds. we've converted some farmers to organic That's um, great. and they're not in the same situation with bees or with water that mm. the central valley in California is in
0: Wow. Mm. So so I guess it's really a case of just trying to do as much research about your own consumption as you can, because I've promoted almond milk before, because I thought mm. that it's probably the best al- alternative to dairy milk. But it just seems that everything has a mm. true cost, as you were saying, and it's not as simple as just, yes, well, this is natural.
2: This jumping is... into this diet. Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly.
0: So, so you really do have to do your research about all, all of this stuff. And then and I've heard that with coconut milk, I don't know how true this is, don't oh, don't yeah. don't quote me on it, but I've heard that now they're chaining up monkeys to get the coconuts. And so now that's this whole new problem that that we have, that it's animal exploitation for the monkeys getting the coconuts. It's like crikey. It's almost as if we just all have to moderate yeah. the products that mm. well,
2: that we use. One thing about third party certification with organics right firstly it was it was the first fully traceable food system in the world. No, the first one to you were able to trace the food from the farmer right through to the dinner table. Yeah. That was the first system in the world. But also the things that they won't allow, um, you know, are not in there. So they won't allow monkeys, <laughs> and coconut tree. They won't allow slave labour. So, yeah. as part of the certification process, it's not just about chemicals. It's also about social standards mm. and, and what and ethics, ethics, social mm-hmm. ethics. Yeah.
0: Okay. Oh well, that's. That's good because I guess as a consumer, it's really hard to know. It's so hard mm, to know.
2: Yeah, you can't know everything. No, you can't. No.
0: no. So so you really do have to just try your best, try and be as informed as possible. And it, that's really great that you have a that we have a trusted source that we can go to that we know that yeah. the supply chain is so
1: legit. I'm just thinking like the certification. So we people should be looking for, because the New Zealand one's BioGrove. is that right? Yes. Yeah, so people should be looking for Biogrow certified organics
2: yes. when they look for organic food. There's also a sure quality in New Zealand and um, there's the biodynamic certification, which is Demeter. Okay. So there are different certification marks around.
1: Do you see food being labelled
2: organic that you know is... Not and it's not certified. Uh, there's certainly products labelled uh, that are not certified labelled organic. You should look for the mm. certified ones. C- certified yeah. ones. Well, yes.
0: I've 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 also noticed that a sneaky thing a lot of companies do is that they have one organic ingredient. So say it's like organic peppermint or something in a face wash, and so so they say it's organic, but it's very small, it just says with organic peppermint or something, or yeah. like with organic and it's. And that sort of makes no difference. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter if there's one mm-hmm. tiny little, you know, 1% organic ingredients compared to 99% of chemicals. So, so that's something to be wary of as well.
2: This year, the government's due to introduce a bill into Parliament that will regulate the use of the word organic in New Zealand. So in the developed world, we're one of two countries that haven't regulated um, the word organic. So Australia and New Zealand are the two countries in the world that haven't, of the developed countries that haven't regulated the use of the word organic. Wow, Wow. that's really interesting.
0: Mm, Because I would have thought. So from this year, they begin
2: the process of changing that.
0: That's great. That's really good because I guess consumers are just confused. I think there's there's so much information, there's so much marketing shoved down our throats that it's designed to confuse us, and so then we Mm. don't know what we're buying.
1: I've also um, got a question about spray-free produce because um, I've been to you know a couple of farmer's markets at times and, and I've talked to some of the farmers there who have had produce that's spray-free and some of them have said our produce is, is organic but we haven't had it certified because it was too expensive to get it certified. Is that like a common thing? And What does spray-free mean compared to organic?
2: I think it's open to all sorts of interpretations for a start. If you're a backyard gardener, maybe it's not economic to do it. But there is also a group called Organic Farm New Zealand, which um, is where groups of farmers get together and certify together what they're producing according to biogrow standards. So it's not quite the same, but it's a step towards right. organic certification and I think it's a very valid one for a small farmer. Mm. That's an inexpensive process, but it still may not be economically feasible if you've grown something off a tree in your backyard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
2: So what do you think
1: is the answer? I mean, wouldn't it be great if there was just a bill passed that, was, that said, from now on, all agriculture in New Zealand has to be organic and biodynamic but like that's never going to happen overnight do you think it's led from consumers choosing organic produce because you know that you know it's going to be better for you it's going to be better for the planet and you're helping to support those farmers to then help them to do more organic growing to then hopefully bring the price down of organic food like where does it
2: start how would we go I think it's a consumer-led movement it has been consumer-led from the start It's consumers that are driving it. So the change doesn't happen unless people really want it. And the more consumers drive it, the faster it will change. Mm. But equally, there'll be a, a group of people that just don't care, in which case conventional farming will continue on. Yeah, but I think in the interests of the country, and I think this current government is taking steps towards it by they've made it a goal to bring about regenerative agriculture into New Zealand. Oh wow! I so know that. that's not banning the use of chemicals or anything, but that's a step towards saying should limit them and should think about the agriculture that you're practicing. Yeah. So I think that this current government we have is quite a transformative government.
0: That's great because I guess it's just, it's the knowledge and the education that we probably need to spread the most because I think a lot of people just think, well, I have heard some people that we know have been saying that that they think that the future of food is genetically modifying in a good way. So adding vitamins and minerals <laughs> to food, <laughs> which in my personal opinion Sounds ludicrous, but, you know, I think a lot of people think that that is the modern answer, to just do more modifying, but in a good way. What are your thoughts on that? Obviously, that's not a good thing, in your opinion.
2: (laughs) I think that's putting too much on science. And then not aligning yourself with the way we have to go, which is to think of nature. What does nature need? Mm -hmm. How do we support nature? Because it's not about us. It's actually about the earth now and making sure the earth can support us. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, there'll still be a lot of people that look to science for an answer. I don't see lab-grown meat or... (laughs) I think maybe urban farms can play a role in it, but I think still most of our food is going to come from the land. And what do we really need to do to support the soil, to support nature, to support the earth mm-hmm. and work with it, not against not it? Not try and beat it. Yeah. So it's a change in thinking that's
1: required. I'm just going to tell you my um, my idea, which I think would be quite cool for um, kind of like urban farming. I was thinking the other day, like, you know, we've got our berms, the bit of grass outside our houses, so it's just like not used for anything. How cool would it be if there were little communities and it was like, could be led by schools? So you get like schools, these kids, so they can have their own patch. Maybe it's someone else's land, but it could be, you know, the kid looks after it and maybe shares the produce with that household who has that berm. And then the kids learn to grow food. And then, you know, it would just be such a wonderful... A really cool thing to do. It's a
0: great idea because yeah. those yeah, booms are just wasted. It's wasted land, isn't it? I know. The, yeah.
2: the, the, there's a house not too far from here where I think they grow flowers. Or, I've oh, seen. Right. I've, I've driven past it, and it, the, yeah. it's not grass. It's flowers. That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. It is a garden. Yeah. yeah. And maybe there's vegetables in it because it goes up a bank. Mm. Of it. Yeah. yeah. I
1: I have actually looked into it, and um, you're not allowed to, by the council website. Yes, I saw. Yeah. Yeah. You're not allowed to. But, but there, was, there was there was there was a way around it. I think. Um, Bit Of a loophole somewhere, yeah. I mean, there was a loophole, I just can't remember what it you know,
2: was. I was. I was told this person has battled the council, yeah, 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 which
1: is such a shame. I mean, that's land where you could be growing food
2: mm. or you know, growing flowers or whatever, or, yeah. and <laughs> land where the council doesn't come round and spray, um, yeah, yeah, glyphosate yeah. Round on Roundup, yeah,
0: yeah, mm. exactly. Well, didn't you find that sometimes if you're Rolling around in grass somewhere. Not that you. you, One of my hobbies is rolling around in grass. (laughs) But I mean, like, if you've been lying down on on grass in a public space, like a a park or something, that you sometimes get a migraine.
1: So, yeah, I've had like five migraines in my life, and four of them have been directly after playing sport on grass,
0: Mm.
1: yeah, or doing some sort of activity on a public grass. So, um, that's
0: interesting. I wonder mm. if there's a link there. Don't know. I mean, hey, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to say there is, but it's just something to ponder. Yeah,
1: it? I love the yeah the speculation we're throwing out in this podcast, like <laughs> I know. like the monkeys with the with the coconut.
0: Well, that's why. Milk.
1: I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean,
0: that's the thing. You've just got a caveat, caveat, caveat. <laughs> you know, and just say I don't know if this is true, <laughs> but I'm going to repeat it from someone else. Yeah. Mm. <laughs>
2: That's Um, a Donald Trump trick (laughs) Exactly
0: (laughs) That's who we learn from Yeah Yeah, They're the best (laughs) Um, Noel If you could have Three foods And three foods only For the rest of your life What would they be? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Funny thing, you should ask. <laughs> my daughter asked me the same thing. So, what's your ideal meal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just your perfect three
0: foods.
2: So, spinach was top of my list.
0: Oh yeah, okay. it's and a why? good all rounder.
2: I don't know. I just like spinach. Mm. Well, I love that's great. That's great to like something so nutritious. Mm. Mm. And the other yeah. two? Well, then it starts getting more complicated because there's lots. <laughs>
0: there's a lot. Yeah, yeah it's a difficult so, question. It's harder than yeah. you think.
2: Mm. But you've got to
1: choose. We're not letting you go until you've oh, given well. us the other two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can't be the It feels locked. <laughs> nuts and cheese are certainly in there. Okay. Yeah. okay. What, what
2: type of nuts? I'm interested. <laughs>
0: oh, you're really drilling down. <laughs> this. I, mean, do I have a favourite nut, so
1: I want to
2: know. <laughs> well, I toss between walnuts and almonds. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ethically yeah, nice. grown almonds, obviously. Yeah. Obviously yeah. organic, biodynamic. Yeah.
0: yeah. And cheese, which type
2: of cheese? Usually the ones I can't find yeah. <laughs> organically, <laughs> <Yeah>. unfortunately. <laughs>
0: that is actually, yeah, there's a real gap in the market for good organic cheeses, I find. Because mm, yeah. I can only really find the um, organic sort of cheddar. Yeah, that,
2: and apart from Cam and bears, is yeah, round. And yeah. there's, there's a few more popular ones, and I tend to like the more obscure ones. <laughs> oh, the
0: the stinky ones.
2: Or, or even things like Emmental, things oh, like yes. that you don't find round.
0: Yeah. Much. Mm. Okay, well.
2: So,
1: yeah, I mean, just to wrap it up, I mean, I think you're doing some incredible work um, with Ceres and helping to change behaviours and help to promote organic food. And okay. it's really cool to see, and it's really cool to see that from a New Zealander and a New Zealand company and doing so well on a global stage as well. If you could have, like, if you could give any advice to people listening about how they can help do their bit or help try and promote organics or just anything like that, what would you say?
2: I think every time you purchase anything, think about it from the point of view, what you're buying is creating the world tomorrow, because you're you're feeding a message back up the supply chain that this is what is wanted. So no matter what you buy, hopefully it's organic food you're buying, but (laughs) whatever you're purchasing actually sends a message back that more of this is needed, Mm. and that creates what happens tomorrow in the world.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's not just food, that's items, that's clothes, that's yeah, everything. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a goal to just be more conscious with our money because at the end of the day, we have the power. We as do. Absolutely. Consumers, yeah.
1: yeah. Mm. So if people do want to find out more about Ceres, they can go along to your website, series.co.nz, yes. right? Yes. And then your products are in a bunch of stores around New Zealand? Yes. And- yeah. Supermarkets and
2: organic stores, mm-hmm, health great. food stores.
0: Yeah, and um, there's some really great blogs about regenerative farming and organic foods on your website as well. So I would highly encourage people to go and take a look. There's some really interesting info on there. On that note, thank you so much, Noel, for your time. Oh, thank you. Richard. It's been yeah. really, Cheers, really cool. Noel. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you indeed. This podcast is brought to you by Raw Collective. And for any updates on our podcast or any of the other podcasts under Raw, head to rawcollective.co or you can follow them on Instagram at raw But wait,
1: before you go, please subscribe to our podcast and also rate it and review it. Leave a nice little message. and Leave a smiley face, maybe an emoji. <laughs>
0: Or tell your friends. It's super easy. It takes two seconds and it would mean so much to us. Bye. Bye.